0: A M E N The Alpha Male Entertainment Network Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the Cigar City of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General Cigar Dave.
1: October rolls along, and so too does Cigar Oktoberfest. We celebrate cigars, we celebrate beer. I've got my beer lined up ready for the National Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony ready in this hour. And in hour number two, we'll be making our way over to Avid Brewing in St. Petersburg, Florida. Right across the bay from the Cigar City of Tampa, we will go to Avid Brewing and we will be joined by Jeff Keller and Connor Meyer, the owner and master brewer respectively. As we talk Home Brewing 101, and we will go over the eight steps to the science of brewing. If you've always wanted to make your own brewski, your own beer, and the comfort and convenience of your own home, stick around, because hour number two, everything you need to know coming your way. Cigar Oktoberfest, again, on The Cigar Dave Show. Long Ash greetings and salutations. A Long Ash snappy salute, semper. Delectatio, Latin to English, that means always pleasure. Long live the Alpha. Make America great again. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. You're a global five-star general and Alpha Male-in-Chief. Front and center from Command Center Alpha in the very luxurious and comfortable Command Center Alpha in a classified location in the Cigar City of Tampa. As always, we welcome you. Follow us on social media. Go to CigarDave.com, upper right-hand corner. All the links to follow us are there. And I must tell you that I'm wearing my lederhosen today because, again, Cigar Oktoberfest, I figured, all right, I didn't wear them last week. Once a year, once during the month of October, I always break out the lederhosen, the little green lederhosen, got the little green German shorts and the green shirt and the green cap. with the. I look like a German pimp. That's exactly what I look like. And I've got to tell you, as Frank Sinatra would say, my Mary Janes are biting me because this is not the most comfortable getup. There's a reason why I don't wear this year-round or more than once in the month of October. Not comfortable. And I will not take a picture of me in the lederhosen, but I am in the spirit of Cigar Oktoberfest. Now, you know, men have been under attack. There is a war on men. There is a war on alpha males. That is indisputable, Sergeant Steve. Did we not come up with a? Didn't we come up with some sort of creative imaging? I just uh, just came to mind. Didn't we do some sort of creative imaging talking about the attack on men? Let me see what I can find. All right, fantastic. Because I know that you were working on it along with uh, Flounder in the California Theater of Operations and Voice Talent Ed. And while I bring up Voice Talent Ed who was instrumental, obviously, in the new creative imaging. Let me uh, extend a very hearty, speedy recovery and well wishes to Voice Talent Ed's mother, who had uh, surgery earlier this week, got reports that uh, Mama Voice Talent Ed is doing very, very well, came through great, and on the road to recovery. So I know that... uh, Everyone of the Cigar Dave crew extends our greetings to her and to Voice Talent Ed, the entire family. Glad that she is uh, doing well. Best wishes also to uh, Brady Fisher from Brady's Backyard Barbecue. Thank you for reminding me. Yes, our good friend Brady Fisher underwent uh, major surgery last week, and we are getting reports on his recovery. He's out of the ICU, into a regular room, and again, one of the great friends of the Cigar Dave show. Not only is he always, over the years, he has joined us during our grilling programs and grilling segments and joined us at our live events. He was in Buffalo at the Pleasure Fest a few years ago. Here in Tampa, he has catered many parties at the Pleasure Palace and I have dined many times at Brady's Backyard Barbecue in Safety Harbor right across the Cigar City uh, in Pinellas County and uh, we extend wishes to him and his entire family as well. Sergeant Steve, thank you for reminding me. But there's an attack on men. There's no question about it. And you can say that the Christine Blasey Ford, Blasey Ford, however you pronounce it, that coming out after Kavanaugh, that that was the start. This goes way, way before that. There has been an attack on men and on masculinity going back 40, 50 years. But it has intensified the last number of years with this contrived statement called toxic masculinity, that all of a sudden if you are born a male, then you are born with a toxic masculinity gene in your body. That when you are born a male, from the time you come out of the womb, then you are a future sexual predator. You are a future criminal. That's how some of the ultra, ultra left-wing feminists, the nutcases, the wackadoodles that we're seeing on the ultra-left, these socialist libs, that's exactly what we are seeing now. And so we are seeing not only that, but we have seen the intersection of political correctness with now the war and attack on men. Now let me give you a perfect example. Winston Churchill, one of the great leaders, political leaders in history, one of the great statesmen of all time, when in the face of the German Nazi invasion, he stood tall, inspired, instilled confidence. Of course, it helped that the United States of America and other allied nations, including Canada and the other allies, but really the United States, let's face it. United States and secondarily Canada, we came to save the European allied asses. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. But he instilled confidence saying, we shall never, ever, ever surrender. Winston Churchill always with the cigar and the the whiskey in hand. And what is amazing is that he was very popular during the war. After the war, his popularity waned. When he was out of office, a number of years later, popularity skyrocketed. There's no question that his popularity probably higher today than ever, except when it comes to the wackadoodle ultralibs that now seem to hijack the political correctness conversational maneuvers. Let me give you a perfect case in point. Ex-astronaut Scott Kelly. He and his brother, astronauts, Scott Kelly, alpha male, no ifs, ands, or buts. You're an astronaut, you go to space, in my estimation, you're an alpha male. When I was growing up in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, I mean, in 1969, um, you know, I was five, six years old, and I remember when man landed on the moon. I remember Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin. Michael Collins, Apollo 11. I remember vividly at my grandmother's house watching on their big Zenith black-and-white TV with the space-age remote Everything was space-age back then. Everything was space-age. If you had Tang, it was space-age. Remember the, the drink Tang? And I remember everybody said that every product that came out, a new microwave, radios, transistors, it's because of the space program. And a lot of it was. A lot of it was. But I remember everything was space age. It's a new Amana space age, Amana radar range microwave. A new space age refrigerator. Space age, everything was space age. But I revered those astro; They were gods. And today, I still think those guys that are exploring the new frontier, exploring space, they're alpha males. You go and pull seven 10Gs, you're an alpha male. No question about it. So Scott Kelly was making a derogatory, not a derogatory, but making a negative, in a polite way, I will say, negative tweet, negative comment about President Trump taking a victory lap at the, swearing in the public swearing-in ceremony of Justice uh, Kavanaugh at the White House earlier this week, last uh, Monday. And Trump took a victory lap, and he kind of went after some of the critics, and uh, I thought Trump did a fine job. I had no, no problems with it whatsoever. There was an attack on Kavanaugh basically labeling him a rapist, a sexual molester, a sexual assault without any evidence. And when people said, well, wait, Christine Blasey Ford, she gets the presumption that that, uh, she's right and he's wrong. No, that's not how it works. I'm sorry. And don't give me this BS. Well, it's a job interview. Therefore, the presumption that he is innocent until proven guilty does not exist. No, that's wrong too. And the witnesses that she named, every one of them, including her very, Lifelong best friend, a Democrat, by the way, came out and said, I don't know, I don't ever recall meeting Brett Kavanaugh, and we weren't at that party. Never happened. And admitted that Lazy Ford's people pressured her into changing her story. And she said, I'm not going to perjure myself. Told the FBI everything. Got to give her credit. Told the truth. Told the truth. Tell the truth. You don't get in trouble. Very simple. So Trump took a victory lap, no problem. Okay, and of course, you've got the the lamestream media going after him and saying, oh, he was not magnanimous. He was was spiking the football. Oh, please spare me. Well, Scott Kelly, ex-astronaut Scott Kelly, tweets, one of the greatest leaders of modern times, Sir Winston Churchill, said, in victory, magnanimity. I guess those days are over. Now you look at that tweet okay, he disagrees with Trump, I thought it was actually a good treat. I I thought, hey, look, he made his point. He didn't bash Trump. He just basically said, look, quoting the great Winston Churchill in victory magnanimity. And, uh, you know, I I always felt that when you win, yeah, you don't spike the ball. You win gracefully, you lose gracefully. I mean, Marv Levy, a great Hall of Fame football coach of the Buffalo Bills, had him on this show many times, used to always say, when you win, act like you win. When you lose, you lose gracefully. There's the right decorum. So maybe Trump did spike the ball a little bit. But it was not over the top. It was not obnoxious. And I thought that Scott Kelly's tweet was appropriate. Well, not so fast, my friends. All of a sudden, he starts getting lambasted and bombarded with negative tweets and replies. Critics saying that Churchill the great leader who rallied Great Britain in the darkest days of World War II against the Third Reich, against the Nazis, helped lead the allies, the uh, Allied victory over Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany. Well, all of a sudden, Scott Kelly gets bombarded with people associating Winston Churchill with Adolf Hitler. Why? Because they say that Churchill was an imperialist and a colonist and they equated him to Hitler. And the next thing you know, relatively quickly thereafter, he tweets a reply saying, and I quote, Did not mean to offend by quoting Churchill. My apologies. I will go and educate myself further on his atrocities, racist views, which I do not support. Are you kidding me? This smacks... You know, when you take a stand and you, you make a quote, if people don't like it, too bad. The problem in this country is we apologize too quickly. If you have an opinion and you believe in that opinion and you believe that Churchill was a great leader, others may disagree, I don't care if there's 10,000 people who disagree to your one who agree with, with a statement, you don't apologize. If you have conviction in your statement, if you believe in your statement, Do not apologize. Be an alpha. Stand by your opinion. I have many people that say, and I get emails saying, oh, I disagree with your opinion, you should apologize. And my reply is, I believe in what I said, I'm not going to apologize. If you don't like it, you can respectfully disagree with me, I have no problem with it, and I'm happy to debate you. Now, most people won't debate me because I have the facts on my side. And when I usually make a comment, it is fact-based. But you may have your own opinion. But the opinion of equating Winston Churchill, the leader of Great Britain during World War II, equating him with a Nazi, being a Nazi, because he was an imperialist and a colonialist, sorry, that doesn't cut it. And when Scott Kelly, alpha, astronaut, rolls over like a defeated dog, that is, to me, unacceptable. Have the nads to say, To all those people who disagree with me and are equating Churchill with being a Nazi, I vehemently disagree with you. You may disagree with me, but I do not retract my statement. But instead, the UN ambassador for space tweets out that I have said, did not mean to offend by quoting Churchill. My apologies. I will go and educate myself further on his atrocities. Yes, Scott, why don't you educate yourself on how he fought the Nazis and rallied the Brits and work with the United States, the Allies, to defeat probably the most evil, brutal, vicious, dictator, most sub- subhuman pig that ever existed on the face of the planet in history. Period. Why don't you educate yourself on that? And to those people that, that would equate, that would go after Kelly because he has an opinion, please shove it. You know I always say it and when I see people you tweet something and then people instead of, you know, being pol- polite, you can say look, I disagree or whatever, they get vicious, they get rude, they get uh, derogatory. And my opinion is, I don't have time for it. It's not it, it 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 does not add in any way shape or form to my health or my wealth. And that should be the standard. If it adds to my health and wealth, Then in that case, yeah, sure, great, I'll take it on. But in those cases, when I see people disagreeing and being, you make a statement and they're being incredibly, incredibly derogatory and boorish in their reply, not interested. It's a waste of time. And as I say, you know, what was it, Forrest Gump? Stupid is as stupid does. You cannot correct stupid. And for those people that tweeted to astronauts, former astronaut, Scott Kelly, equating Winston Churchill with a Nazi? Please. But what makes it even worse is that Scott Kelly surrendered. He rolled over. He cut his nads off with a knife and said, here they are, take my nads, take my masculinity. I'm going to bow down and apologize. Did not mean to offend by quoting Churchill. Please. Churchill did not have racist views. I don't care if he was a colonialist or not, or if he wanted to expand the British Empire. Who cares? I'm sorry. But to equate Churchill, these and again, these are people that are uneducated. These are people that could not engage in debate for 30 seconds. Why? Because they have no clue. They have absolutely no clue, and this is what we are seeing now. We are seeing alpha males, former alpha males, who are basically being sissified, wissified, and castrated. Latest example, I'm here to pump you up, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Let me, re- let me play a, a soundbite from the 2004 GOP convention when he was uh, going after the economists that were trying to uh, basically being negative about the economy and, and, and go after the GOP on cutting taxes and, and trying to grow the economy. Hit it.
2: And to those critics who are so pessimistic about our economy, I say, don't be economic, girly man. Don't be economic, girly man. You are wimps. You are girly men. You do not have nerds, You do not have balls. You don't have testicles. You got nothing.
1: Well, in an interview, the latest one to lose his nads. And by the way, Arnold now is 71. It's hard to believe. Harrison Ford, I think, is like 73, but he looks like he's 173. But Arnold Schwarzenegger, in uh, an interview with Men's Health magazine, talking about calling his opponents girly men and uh, being going after using that phrase, he now is being apologetic over his girly man taunts, and I'm quoting. At the time, it felt like the
2: right thing to do. It was in my gut. I improvised it. I called them girly men because they weren't willing to take risks. They were afraid of everything. Politicians in general want to do little things, so there's no risk involved. I was counterproductive. My rhetoric was counterproductive. It was short-sighted in the long term. It's better to not say that because you want to work with them. If you have a little sense of history, you know that the best things are accomplished when both parties work together and start compromising, like Ronald Reagan did with Tip O'Neill. They argued in public. They attacked each other, but with a little wink. That's why so much got done in the Reagan administration. When you can reach out across the aisle and work together, you can get much more accomplished, rather than girly men or "F.U." or it's my way or the highway. Okay, now that I have said that, here's an unquote. I'm here to not pump you up. I'm here to russify and castrate you, denadualize you. I just made that word up, but I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. If you're a girly man, I can make it up.
1: Here's the reality. Honored. So you called somebody a girly man. It's politics, it's showbiz, baby. It was effective. There are campaigns. And then when you're done, you can still reach across the aisle. Here's the problem today. What the Democrats do not like, and now we're seeing this week, we saw that uh, Holder, former A.G. Holder, and Hillary Clinton said, when we go low, we hit them, we kick them. And then Hillary Clinton said, you can't have civility. We won't have civility until we're back in power. Well, here's the reality. The Republicans for so many years were civil. John McCain and Mitt Romney and George, they were all civil. And when they got hit in the nuts, they just took it. And the Democrats kept saying, no, we go high. We want an honest issue-based campaign, when in reality they were getting in the mud and they were slinging it faster than you could shake a stick at. But what happened with Donald Trump, certified alpha male? What happened was when he started getting attacked, whether it was Republican opponents or the Democrat opponents, not only did he hit back, if they he got kicked in the nuts, he not only kicked them back ten times harder in the nuts, he then took a boot and shoved it right up their tuchus and gave them a high colonic. And that's what the Democrats despise. He beat them at their own game. And the reality today is the way politics are, I mean, look at the Kavanaugh hearing. You couldn't have any civil discourse You couldn't have any, there was no civility. When all of a sudden they're going after a man without any evidence, except the hearsay of one woman who couldn't corroborate it with her eyewitnesses that she provided to the committee and she provided to the FBI, she could not corroborate her story in any way, shape, or form. And you had incredible civil discourse. And finally the Republicans woke up. So it's great to say theoretically, yes, we
2: must be civil to each other. We should not hit each other in the nuts. We should not call each other girly men. We should all sing Kumbaya and go to Starbucks together, hold hands, and and pass the peace pipe. That's great.
1: That is Fantasy Island. It is not going to happen. But what is happening today is now men, former alpha males, astronaut Scott Kelly, Arnold Schwarzenegger, what's happening now? They are now succumbing to the war on men. They're being wussified. They are now trying to show their feminine side. They're not trying to sing kumbaya and be all about love. Too late. Doesn't work.
0: The General is now on
1: Instagram. Follow him for pictures of
0: the latest cigars, libations, and what he's enjoying during the show. (laughs) That could be interesting, and we'll have to block out some faces. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers.
1: Well, I need me a little bit of Stevie Ray Vaughan and Scuttlebutton. And there's a very good reason I selected that song for Litation. First of all, love Stevie Ray Vaughan, he's fantastic. But a year and a half ago, when I was in Austin, I had the chance to go to the Texas State Museum. They had a whole exhibit on Stevie Ray Vaughan, fantastic cigar player, or cigar player, guitar player, fantastic guitar player, and uh, incredible musician. And because the beer that I'm going to be enjoying today comes from Scuttlebutt Brewing, I figured what a great musical accompaniment, Scuttlebutt by Stevie Ray Vaughan, and we'll enjoy that. But my cigar, first of all, because Stevie Ray Vaughan was from Texas and everything is big in Texas. Don't mess with mess with Texas. From Alec Bradley, I have just pulled out the Texas Lancero. When Alan Rubin was going down to uh, one of the factories in Central, American, Central America, he came up with an idea. He said, you know what? I want to do a Lancero, but I want to do something for Texas. And everything's big in Texas, so he created... A massive cigar. And he's calling it the Texas Lancero. One size, seven inches in length, with a 70 ring gauge. It is over an inch in diameter. And it's finished with a Cuban-style pig tail, which is normally reserved for the long, thin Lancero size that you originally saw from Cuba. And now many of the Dominican, Nicaraguan, Honduran manufacturers, when they do a Lancero, they do the traditional Cuban pigtail. Texas Lancero. A big and bold cigar, but it's medium in body. Very, very smooth. Remarkably smooth. Nicaraguan wrapper. Indonesian binder. Three filler blend. Nicaragua, Honduras, and Costa Rica. It's big and bold. A lot of flavor, but it's very smooth. Medium in flavor. It's a great looking cigar. Love the name Texas Lancero. In fact, at the Cigar Retailers Convention this summer, they got a whole big bar with all different cigars and bundles. And of course, I just go behind and I see Alan Rubin and, and uh, George Sosa and Ralph Montero, and I just go back and make myself at home, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to take a few of these. Hey, help yourself, whatever you want, General. And I hadn't had that many Texas Lanceros. I said, you know what? I'm going to take about a half dozen. Well, I smoked one a few weeks ago and loved it. So today, I'll smoke the Alec Bradley Texas Lancero. Great accompaniment to the song by Stevie Ray Vaughan, who is from Texas and it'll pair up nicely with my libationary choice for Cigar Oktoberfest.
0: Cigar altering and highly sharpened
1: leaf-exposing device. Self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine ready for action. And by the way, you need a large ring-gauge guillotine. The ones that you bought from 20 years ago will not work. This is a 70 ring gauge size cigar. So you need a gigundus, either a bullet piercer or a guillotine, which is I'm going to, what I'm going to use today, or a big cigar scissors. That will work as well. But this guillotine can easily handle about a 78-80 ring gauge size cigar. No problem.
0: Maximum BTU flame throwing and heat producing apparatus.
1: Uh, I've got from the Cigar Dave Research and Development Labs, the Mala. Make America Lightate again. Fantastic lighter from the R&D lab guys with the white coats and the pocket protectors, giant lightation device, four big flames, big tank. Make America lightate again, even in red, and it's got white lettering on the side. Pretty cool. Nice job to our R&D guys.
0: Cigar, Cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go. Throttle up in three, two, one.
1: Perfect cuts. Beautiful on this giant Alec Bradley Texas Lancero. Fantastic looking cigar. Now I will gently toast the foot of this Lancero. By the way, you cannot be in a rush to go ahead and toast and light this Alec Bradley Texas Lancero. It's a 70 ring gauge. You gotta make sure, number one, that you toast the wrapper and binder first, then you get to the filler. I'm taking my time. I don't want any black spots or dead zones, otherwise it will not burn correctly. And I want to enjoy every single puff of this gigundous beauty. Seven inches in length, 70 ring gauge, over an inch in diameter. Beautiful cigar. All right, let me just puff and rotate now.
3: Toasting dung. Mmm. Oh,
1: nice. A lot of flavor on this bad boy. It's Texas. What's big in Texas? I always say Texas Lancero big cigars. Women with big hair and women with big racks. Everything's big, and guys with big hats. Everything's big in Texas. By away, way, I should say, hmm. after my visit to Texas, I got—I started thinking, you know, I should be a cattleman, I should be an oil man. It sounds good. What do you do? I'm an old man. I'm a cattleman. I'm from Texas. So I changed my name. I'm Davy Bob. And I bought me a 1977 Cadillac Eldorado, and I got the big... Cattle antlers right on the right on the front of it. Can't miss it. In fact, I bought it used from a guy named El Mays. It was available on eBay. I saw it. I said, okay, you know what? Guy named El Mays. That was it. Picked it up. Got the big horns and everything. I mean, it looks like it's from Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas. i tell you, when I drive around in the cigar city of Tampa, I get a lot of looks. There's no whips, ands, or butts. But nonetheless, there's Texas Lancero. Needs a little touch-up. Very nice. And in fact, well, it's interesting, when I bought that Cadillac like El with the antlers on the front, cattle antlers, I talked to this guy. His name was El Mays. And he said, the only guys that drove it were me and my two sons. That was it. Treated. We said, I treated it like the cream puff that it is in his Texas accent. And I said, well, El, that's what he called himself, L. I I said, El, if that's the case, then I'm sold. And that was it. Drove it back from from Texas, San Antonio, here to the Cigar City. Tell you what. Looks great in the old driveway. <laughs> All right, let me finish buffing and rotating on this gigantic stick. Gigunder stick. All right. I am good. Take a brew Now, as we celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest, I need a proper brew to accompany this Alec Bradley Texas Lancero Cigar.
0: Scotch, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers.
1: All right, I've just pulled out a very nice, chilled bottle of Homeport Blonde Ale from Scuttlebutt Brewing Company in Everett, Washington, the Pacific Northwest. What else besides the Scuttlebutt Brewing Company is in Everett, Washington? The Boeing Everett Factory. That was the factory that's the largest building in the world by volume, 470 2.4 million cubic feet. It covers 98.7 acres. That is incredible. Factory where the Boeing 747, the 767, the 777, and the 787 are assembled. It is uh, just uh, south of Seattle. Everett, Washington. Not only known for the Boeing Everett factory, but also for their beer. Interesting story about Scuttlebutt Brewing Company. They were founded in 1996 by Phil and Cynthia Scuttlebannon. And she got her name, her nickname, Scuttlebutt, by her father before she was born because it was the Scuttlebutt or gossip at the Norfolk Naval Station where they were stationed at the time. So he called her Scuttlebutt when she was born until her 13th birthday. When at a request, he discontinued the name by dropping the last syllable, and she's been called Scuttle ever since. So Scuttlebutt Brewing Company, and I have pulled out their Homeport Blonde Ale, one of their year-round beers, in addition to their Amber Ale, their Gale Force IPA, their Porter, and their Hefeweizen. This is a clean and crisp beer, balanced, light-bodied, some dude fruitiness. And let me open it up here and uh, pour it. What did I do with my opener here? I know I've got uh, There it is. It's under my litation device. Okay, let's do this. Let me bring that. Here we go. Okay, We open that up. We're going to pour that. Uh, nice amount of foam. And as we learned, it is good to let the foam kind of just uh, work itself out of the bottle when you put it in your glass. Otherwise, it uh, expands in your stomach. Not optimal. As I look at this, it's got a beautiful light golden blonde color. The aroma on it, a little citrusy. Little lemon, little very fresh. It uses nuggets and tetnanger hops. Four point six percent alcohol by volume. Let me whoops. See if I can get a better cheers out of that. Yeah, it's about the best I'm gonna get. So I'll say cheers. Happy cigar, Oktoberfest. Mm. Very nice. Definitely fruity, very light, but lots of flavor. The nuggets and Tetnanger hops give it just a little bit of hoppiness, not much, on the International Bitterness Unit Scale. One being the least, hundred the most. 17. So it's got 17 IBUs, International Bitterness Units. So not very bitter. I mean, uh, for an ale, it's definitely on the lighter side, but very, very nice. Take another sip here. Hmm, mm, that is nice. Got a lot of citrus lemon. Lemon zip to it. Take a puff. My Texas Lancero from Alec Bradley. I would say that is very nice. Now, What Brewing has some seasonal beers. One of them I am trying to get my hands on. It's called the 10 Degrees Below. It's got a polar bear on it. Nice light blue background. And it looks chilly. It looks like winter, but I love polar bears. Love the polar bears. 10 Below is an Imperial Dunkelweiss spiced with molasses that's medium-bodied and has a rich chocolate finish using Mount Hood and American Zass hops. 22 IBUs, 7.4% alcohol by volume. I'm going to try to get my hands on that because that 10 Below looks like it would be a delicious beer right around Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's, President's Day, right in that winter... Part of the year. So as I take another puff of my Alec Bradley Texas Lancero, hmm, very nice. Take another sip of my Scuttlebutt Homeport Blonde Ale. Hmm. The National Cigar Litation Libation Ceremony is complete. Got some Stevie Ray Vaughan. Got a great cigar. Got a great beer. Life is good. All right, when we come back, John Meyer. John, uh, Sergeant Steve, is it John Meyer or John Mayer? John Mayer. John Mayer. As you can tell, I'm not a fan. Not a fan of his music. Very chicky. I went and tried to pull up some of his hits. There was like one that I re- barely recognized. Very chicky, very wussified music. Good guitar player. Not like Stevie Ray Vaughan, but still very good. So when we come back, I'm going to tell you about a little tirade that John Mayer went uh, on against Alphas during a recent concert in Baltimore. So we will get into that. Got a couple other things. I got a great email from a listener here in the Sunshine State that I will share with you. And don't forget, in hour number two as we celebrate Cigar Oktoberfest, we are going to be heading out to Avid Brewing, making our way from Command Center Alpha over to Avid Brewing in St. Petersburg, right across Tampa Bay. We'll be joined by Jeff Keller and Connor Meyer, the owner and master brewer, respectively, as we conduct Home Brewing 101 Educational Maneuvers will give you the eight uh, steps to the science of brewing. And if you've always wanted to create your own beer, maybe you love beer, you've heard about it, you've read about it, you've gone online, you've watched some videos, trust me. The next hour, I'm telling you, these guys are fantastic. We have we, I've talked to them numerous times before. They know their stuff, and they will guide you and I in creating our own home beer. Beer that will turn out delicious. Follow these guys what they have to say, and you will be in good shape. That is our number two as we continue front and center on the Cigar Dave Show, celebrating Cigar Oktoberfest and absolute alpha masculinity.
0: This month's Cigar Dave Officers Club selection is a sampler from A.J. Fernandez featuring San Latano Requiem Maduro. This cigar's rich, chocolatey, slightly sweet, and creamy flavors are delivered through layers of thick, flavorful nuances. Get cigars like these shipped directly to you every month by joining the Cigar Dave Officers Club today. Get details at CigarDave.com.
1: Gurkha has just launched three new cigars at the Cigar Dave Alpha Pleasure Fest on the water in Buffalo. The Gurkha Chateau Privé, The Gurkha Marquesa and Gurkha Ghost Gold. All three unique flavor profiles. The Gurkha Chateau Privé, more traditional mild and creamy cigar typically found in many of the high-end Dominican cigars. Exquisite flavor, very velvety on the palate, featuring an Ecuadorian Deflorado wrapper. The Gurkha Marquesa, very Cubanesque all the way around from flavor and packaging. With an earthy Sumatra wrapper, Gurkha Marquesa is a bold, well-balanced, medium-bodied and spicy cigar. The Gurkha Ghost Gold, a little different than the regular Gurkha Ghost, more flavor, a little bit bolder, featuring an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. Instead of a sweet flavor on the Gurkha Ghost, it's a more nutty and earthy profile. The Gurkha Chateau Prive, the Gurkha Marquesa and Gurkha Ghost Gold, three new cigars just launched by Gurkha. Cigar connoisseurs love expanding their palate, taste, profile horizons. The best way to do that is to join the Cigar Dave Officers Club, where every month you will get fabulous cigars shipped directly to you. For October 2018, we are featuring the A.J. Fernandez Sampler, three magnificent cigars from A.J. Fernandez, rolling great cigars in his huge Nicaraguan factory. First, the A.J. Fernandez Bellas Artes. A beautiful, smooth, delightful, rich cigar featuring a Rojita Nicaraguan wrapper. Then we've got the A.J. Fernandez Enclave Broadleaf. It is loaded with power, no trace of harshness, but lots of spiciness. Finally, the A.J. Fernandez San latano Requiem Maduro featuring a Mexican San Andrean Marron wrapper. Just an amalgamation of chocolate, light sweetness, and creaminess. Join the Cigar Dave Officers Club and get cigars like the A.J. Fernandez Sampler. Go to CigarDave.com, $22.95 per month, and join now. You are listening to the theme from The Delta Force, a great movie that was made starring Chuck Norris and Lee Marvin back in 1986. Released Feb 14, Valentine's Day, 1986. Action-packed adventure movie. Now, last week, I told you about the passing of Major General Sidney Shacknow, general that was a major general in the United States Army, retired in 1994 after 39 years of active service, passed away a couple of weeks ago. He was uh, 84 when he passed away. Great American with an incredible story. At the age of seven, he was imprisoned in the Kavanaugh concentration camp by the Nazis during World War II. He was in the camp for three years, uh, endured countless brutalities, and watched as virtually every member of his extended family were slaughtered, were brutally murdered. He escaped. He was liberated by the Russians. In 1950, Sidney Shackna- Shacknow immigrated to Massachusetts. He attended school for the first time in his life. Now, I want you to think about this. He was... 16 years old, first time ever going to school. After working his way through high school, he enlisted in the U.S. Army. He entered Officer Candidate School, received his commission in the U.S. Army Infantry. He was in the Army Special Forces, known as the Green Berets. Served there for 32 years, kept getting promoted: captain, uh, commander, and then all the way up until he was major general. And what is interesting is he ended up serving back in Berlin, overseeing the U.S. forces. Now think about this. The Nazis were the ones that put him in the concentration camp as a child. The Nazis brutally murdered his family. He comes back to Berlin to protect the people of Germany from the Russians, who had liberated him. The Russians liberated him in World War II. Now think about that. And he always told that story. Great American great human passed away September 28th of this year. One of the other reasons I love Sidney Schacknow, he endorsed President, or at the time, candidate Donald Trump September 6, 2016, though he was critical of some of Donald Trump's foreign policy proposals. But I think Major General Schacknow certainly would be very pleased at his endorsement. And I kept saying to myself last week, and I said, Sergeant Steve, I remember seeing this movie. I couldn't remember the name of the movie. It was Delta Force. I couldn't remember the actor who looked exactly like Major General Sidney Shacknell. Then I went back and it dawned on me. The Delta Force. Lee Marvin. Lee Marvin played in the movie The Delta Force. And he actually played a retired uh, Army commander that leads this mission... To save uh, and extract a hijacked plane from Beirut, and the movie, the soundtrack to the movie is incredible. Sergeant Steve, if this music ends, hit it one more time. I mean, I could listen to this over and over and over and over again. It was composed by Alan Silvestri, who scored numerous, numerous well-known movies and shows. If you ever watched the TV show in the late '70s, early '80s, The Chips. He composed the music to that. Uh, he composed the music to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Back to the Future trilogy, Forrest Gump, just a whole bunch of different, different movies and TV shows. And so when he was asked about the theme to Delta Force, because it just has this energy, this drive. In fact, I'll play that in my uh, iPhone, have my earphones in when I'm walking or working out. Just gives you a lot of motivation. And he asked. He told the story. He said. He was asked, how did you come up, how did you create that incredible theme? He said, actually, I was in a meeting with Chuck Norris for about five minutes. And we were talking, and Chuck was talking about this, the, 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 how he was going to play the role. And it just hit me. It just hit me. The energy, the explosiveness, just being in the room with Chuck Norris, all that alpha maleness. That masculinity rubbed off, and bam, I created it, and it was relatively easy. But let's pump that up. I'll stop talking. Take a listen to this. Love the theme to the Delta Force. If you have not seen the Delta Force, Go to Amazon Prime. I think it's maybe on Netflix. Rent it. Whatever. It is a phenomenal, action-packed movie. Light a cigar. Grab a whiskey or a bourbon. Trust me. Throw out crank up the speakers. You will absolutely love it. Great movie. And we have just posted pictures, side-by-side pictures, at CigarDave.com and on our Twitter feed, Instagram feed, and our Facebook feed of... Major General Sidney Shacknow and Lee Marvin next to each other. They are like spitting image of each other. They just have that Green Beret tough look. Real quickly, got an email from Lieutenant Mike, Citrus Hills, Florida. He said, General, please give our area a shout out. We love listening to your show. My wife says your voice is sexy. I listen all the time, and she has to because I do. Trump, make America great. Ybor City shout out. Thanks, Mike. From Citrus Hills, Florida, central part of Florida. So there's the shout out. By the way, Mike, your wife has impeccable taste. She's an honorary member of the harem. She thinks I have a sexy voice. She's obviously a very smart woman with impeccable taste. Keep her around. You remember the Cigar Dave Officers Club? Our AJ Fernandez sampler has been mailed and is being mailed, was mailed yesterday, mailed Monday. You'll have it next week. You will love it. Our number two of the Cigar Dave Show from Avid Brewing in St. This is CCRN,
0: the Cigar Connoisseur Radio Network. Fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General Cigar Cigar Dave. Dave.
1: We continue with week two of Cigar Oktoberfest here on the Cigar Dave Show. We celebrate cigars, we celebrate beer, and we combine them, we pair them together. Now, you can go and purchase beer at a store. You can go purchase beer at a craft brewery. You can go to a microbrew. But what if you would like to create and make your own brew, your own beer? Well, that's exactly what we will talk about in this hour. Home Brew 101, Home Brewing 101, everything you need to know about brewing your own beer. It has become a huge hobby across the country, it is 100% legal, and we have. Uh, We continue from Avid Brew Company, downtown St. Petersburg. And today for the next hour, we'll be joined by Jeff Keller, the owner, Connor Meyer, their master brewer. And we will teach you to brew your own beer. We welcome you back, lieutenants, front and center. And as always, follow us along, CigarDave.com. You can follow us on social media, and we are tweeting pictures, and we've got some beautiful beers that are in front of us now. Many times... We see, we, we've done stories, we've, we've interviewed people who are in uh, the beer industry, craft brewing, and they have said, and I've asked them, how did you get into beer? They said, well, I love drinking it, number one. And number two, I decided to get into home brewing. And that's a hobby that really has taken off, I think, in the last five to 10 years. And we've seen many craft breweries that have been started by home brewers, brewing enthusiasts. So today, we will teach you everything you need to know about brewing your own beer. Maybe along the way, you'll say, "Maybe I'm going to try this at least once." So we will give you everything you need to know. So first up, Connor Meyer. The or correction: Jeff Keller, the owner and proprietor of Avid Brew Company. A pleasure to be here on site. And as I look around here, I almost want to start brewing something instantly.
4: Thanks for coming, Dave. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got uh, a small little brew system here. It's fun to play
1: with. Well, I'm looking at some of your beers here that look magnificent. We also have some raw ingredients. But the first thing I'm looking at is a very big chalkboard, and there are eight different steps on creating your own uh, beer. In fact, it's called Science of Brewing. Now, before we even talk about step one, which is water, malted grain, hops, yeast, adjuncts, I think the first thing is some of the equipment that you need to actually brew. So let's talk about if somebody wants to... a home brewer right there's different ways i know there's mr beer if i'm not mistaken there's other things and you sell everything here but talk about what equipment is needed to brew your own beer
4: well you're basically going to need a big pot um that's where you're going to do your mashing in uh, that's where you do your boiling in um you're also going to need uh some fermenters and those come in the form of basically a five gallon bucket or six gallon bucket works Uh, of course like a food grade plastic is best uh, Carboys, which are like water jugs, um, those are probably more preferred. Uh, they just look better. Um, and they come in glass and also uh, PET plastic. Um, depending on uh, how many beers you want to brew is pretty much at the same time as, as how many fermenters you're going to need. It's, it's kind of like retail uh, rental space. It's, once your, your fermenters are full, then you got to get another one. Um, good problem to have, by the way. It is a good problem. Beer is a good problem when you have lots of it um uh, but you're going to need some basic uh you know hydrometers you're going to need a, a, a bottle capper a big spoon um and then patience uh
1: you cannot rush the hands of time
4: you cannot no so once you start making your beer the whole process takes about 30 days so uh you'll have your official brew day which is uh usually 3 to 4 maybe 5 hours um after that you let your beer do its thing and just ferment um uh, you know it, it, at a certain temperature for a couple of weeks, and then usually bottle age, or
1: bottle condition. After that, you could also go into a keg, which takes another week or two. Well, the nice thing about home brewing, as opposed to well, first of all, it home brewing is 100% legal, as opposed right. to distilling your own distilled spirits, meaning vodka or whiskey moonshine. And there's a reason. There's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, but first, I think probably the most important is. Health and safety.
4: Right, right, yeah. And In and distilling, you could you could uh, really mess some people up by you know poisoning them,
1: well, or too, you could blow well, yourself
4: sa- up as well. You could make a right. make a bomb.
1: Because I think there's two types of alcohol. There's what ether, alcohol, and ethyl, and one is deadly, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Yeah, one is deadly, and one you can drink. One right, is okay. Right, right. And the key is you want to get the one that that you can drink. That's okay, but. There's there's much more uh, regulation and that's why you see these moonshiners. It's technically legal, but home brewing is legal. And Jeff, uh, correction, Connor Meyer, the the master brewer, uh, home brewing 100% legal. Very different than distillation, as we were talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, get that mic nice and close. Uh, absolutely. Even closer. Oh, absolutely. Much better, <laughs> much better. Third time is the charm. Nice. So a very big difference and. Uh, what type of people are you seeing coming in is there any specific age range or is it more men than women you seeing? give us an idea of who's coming in here to actually learn how to home brew
5: for the most part it's 25 to 35 year old men and a little bit older Um, mostly people that have found that they either want to make it cheaper or they want to make something that they can't get at the breweries and they, they want to have something seasonal for themselves so they can make for each season, for each day, for each month, or for an event or for a party. They want to make theirs. They want to have their own thing going.
1: Well, I think there's also something very cool and I think maybe a little bit uh, romantic about saying, I'm a home brewer. I brew my own beers, where you have people at a party and you can sample some of their beers and people can actually be very proud of the offerings that they're serving. Absolutely.
5: It is. You know, I
1: think there's something, there's a a wow factor to that.
4: Oh, yeah. You can add your own flavors. You can do anything you want. So you can make it as strong or as light, dark and heavy, or, you know, barrel-aged or
1: whatever you like. Now, one of the people that we uh, know mutually, Phil Azun, who is, uh, he's known as Phil Our Blend on the Cigar Dave Show, my producer for many years, now helps us with creative services. He is a home brewer. And he comes in here, purchases home brewing supply, and he is, he's told me, he said, I, I've, finished very high. I didn't win the award yet. And of course I razz them, razz him about it all the time. But the one thing he always tells me is that he loves to be able to experiment and try different things. And I think that's probably the one commonality with home brewers is they want to try, they want to have fun. It's a hobby.
4: He's making some great beer by the he way. He is. It, it, He's it, one of his IPAs yeah. are pretty, they're, they're off the charts.
1: Yeah. And what, so what makes a beer off the charts? How does a home brewer able to be able to brew something to say that's off the charts? <laughs> What is it? Is it the well, ingredients? Is it how they it, ferment It's it? all
4: in perspective and personal taste. You know, I, I like uh, I like IPAs. Some people hate them. You know, I'm not a big stout guy, uh, but that's all some people will ever drink. So to make a chart, you know, that fluctuates or, you know, is relevant to someone's taste, I don't know how, how you can do that. It's, it's all personal taste.
1: But overall, what about the beer did you enjoy?
4: Um... Probably the aroma, the, 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 the clearness, the crisp, crispness, um, the overall flavor. You know, the last IPA did, I think it was a, a mango or something like that in there. And it, it was just full of flavor.
1: And again, there's no right or wrong. So you could have five homebrewers coming up with an IPA. Everyone's going to be slightly different depending on what they put in and, and, and I guess the hops they use and the other ingredients. So really, it is, it is a custom creation.
5: Also their equipment and their brew style and how they did it specifically. I mean, the temperatures can change everything. Temperatures of fermentation, temperatures of your mash. Everything can change, and each brewer has different preferences based on what they want out of it. So you can make it drier. You can make it a little more body. You can give it more aroma by adding hops late. You can give it a little bit more bitterness by adding hops really early. So, I mean, each brewer knows what they like and know what they want. And, I mean, there's... There's great beer in every style, and every little bit
1: is a little different, but it's wonderful in its own way. So we have learned so far that before we even get into the science of brewing and home brewing, before we go through the diff- the eight steps, you need some key equipment. And, uh, Jeff, as you mentioned, brew kettles, fermentation vessel, a fermentation lock, a spoon. Is that to sample the beer while you're... While you're making it, sure. You got to
4: taste it with you know, your creation.
1: It's like creating a soup. I got to taste uh-huh. it. I got to try it. Uh, the hydrometer, bottles, an auto siphon, bottle cappers, bottle caps, starter kit. You said it, some jugs, and also sanitizer, which is important, which we will talk about. We're, we're at Avid Brew Company in downtown St. Petersburg, Florida, with Jeff Keller, the owner, and Master uh, Brewer Connor Meyer. We are talking Home Brewing 101. When we come back, the science of brewing, we will tell you everything you need to know to create your own brew.
0: The Cigar Dave Officers Club selection this month is an AJ Fernandez sampler, including the Bellas Artist Toro. This Spanish box press beauty is decadent in flavor and aroma, and will spoil your palate with notes of cream, white pepper, cinnamon, and orange peel. Want these cigars shipped directly to you each month? Log on to CigarDave.com to join the Officers Club.
6: Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now, cigarrights.org.
1: We will continue with Jeff Keller, Connor Mayer of Avid Brewing Company in St. Pete with Home Brewing 101 just around the corner. But first up, if you are a member of the Cigar Dave Officers Club, good news, the A.J. Fernandez sampler has been mailed. You should start receiving it beginning part of the week or into later next week, depending on where you reside geographically. But we have selected three fabulous cigars from A.J. Fernandez. First up, the A.J. Fernandez Bellas Arts. The second is the A.J. Fernandez Enclave Broadleaf. The third is the A.J. Fernandez San Latano Requiem Maduro. Nice cross-section. First up, the Bellas Artes from A.J. Fernandez, inspired by the museum in Cuba, the National Fine Arts Museum. It is adorned in A.J. Fernandez's exclusive Rojita Nicaraguan wrapper. Delivers a smooth, delightful a taste of cinnamon and cedar fabulous cigar then the enclave broadleaf which i absolutely love if you seek a full bodied full flavored cigar the enclave broadleaf is it combination of connecticut broadleaf wrapper nicaraguan fillers just superb spiciness loaded with power but no harshness whatsoever and finally the aj fernandez san lotano requiem maduro named after aj's birthplace in cuba the san lotano requiem uh, requiem maduro very rich cigar wrapped in a magnificent, oily Mexican San Andreas Morón wrapper. It's an amalgamation of chocolate, light sweetness, creaminess, three great cigars, for October, in the October 2018 Officers Club selection from A.J. Fernandez. If you're not a member, go to CigarDave.com. 22 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. Let's continue our Cigar Oktoberfest celebration with Home Brewing 101 as we learn the eight steps of the science of brewing. Back to Avid Brewing Company in St. Petersburg. Celebrating Cigar Oktoberfest by teaching you how to home brew as we get into the science of brewing today on our Cigar Oktoberfest editions of the Cigar Dave Show. We're at Avid Brew Company downtown St. Pete, where you can buy supplies, you can learn how to brew. We're with Jeff Keller, the owner, Connor Meyer, the master brewer, and gentlemen. I have to say, thank you for wearing your lederhosen and dressing up, really getting into the Oktoberfest spirit. Looks good. You're welcome, Dave. You guys pulled off nicely. I'm telling you, I like the little uh, feather in the in the hat. You guys look like German pimps. We just got it off a pheasant running across the street. <laughs> and actually, there's the House not far from where we are. So That's right, right down yes. the street. There you go. Now, uh, before we get into we actually talked about what you need, what equipment. So I'm looking at a board here, the science of brewing. There are eight steps. First is the ingredients. Second is mashing grains. Number three is sparging. Number four is boiling. Number five is adding hops. Number six is chilling. Number seven is pitching yeast. That's not like pitching a 10, is it? Close. Close, okay. <laughs> Eight, fermentation and bottling. And there's nine that's not on there, and that is drinking and enjoying. That's right. That's the best one. That's the most that's why important. why not on there. That's right. We'll get into that because I'm looking at four magnificent samples here. But first, let's talk about the ingredients necessary to make beer. Everybody knows you need water, good water to start. Right, right. Can't have bad water. No No. matter what the spirit, it's got to start with good water.
4: It's got to start with good water. Water is the, the main ingredient in beer. So if your water tastes good, then, you know, if you're happy with the water, then that's your base of your beer.
1: Now we don't have great water in Florida. No, that is a scientifically no. known fact. It doesn't taste. It's not like in Kentucky where you go to the Jack Daniels Distillery in Lynchburg and then there's limestone stream where they get no, all the water. unfortunately not. We don't have that. So what what do you have to do because of the bad water that that you know we get off out of the tap here? Well,
5: kind of interesting. If you look at the history of beer from all over the world, like Germany, Belgium, and um, England, you have beer styles that are based around the water profile they have. So, I mean, like England, you have the IPAs and porters. Germany, you have the lagers and the lighter beers. And then Belgium, you just have weird, crazy, awesome, delicious beers. But you can see the, the culture of beer has grown around what kind of waters they had. And you can now adjust your water with different mineral salts like calcium and sulfates. And you can adjust your water to whatever you want, especially if you have RO water. You can use that and build up. And what is RO water? Uh, reverse osmosis. It's just a really good filter. Gotcha. basically makes water as pure as possible.
1: I mean, I think we, we, we think of the old Coors ads where you see one of the Coors uh, family members talk, you know, he's in like a, 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 a jacket. He's out by this beautiful stream in the Rocky Mountains that the water is pure. I mean, I think that's the image that most people have. But let's face it, water is different everywhere around the world. And there's some great beers anywhere you go around the world. So that's the first thing is obviously filter the water, and then you can add different compounds to it to get that water. So water's the first thing. The next thing you need is malted grain. What type of malted grain? Barley
5: is the most Barley. common one. Uh, you can also use wheat and rye and… Sure, because wheat beers. Corn, for corn and rice. Sugar. Well, and
1: what do you think about corn, the number one ingredient in bourbon? Urban whiskeys. But when you think uh, there's also wheat whiskeys, but wheat beers we've seen. Mm-hmm. So barley is number one. Wheat is probably number two. Yes. Okay. So you have malted grains. Then hops, which give it the tanginess or bitterness.
5: Bitterness, aromas, some of the flavors. Most of the flavors that you're really getting that are um, floral and citrusy are coming from the, from the
1: hops. Okay. Yeast.
5: Yeast is really interesting as well because there's so many varieties of it and from all over the world and you can have yeast that give you fruity flavors and yeast that give you spicy flavors and yeast that are completely neutral so you can get all sorts of different flavors from yeast that are from all over the world
1: alright and then the last thing adjuncts which are?
5: Uh, stuff like rye, fruits, um, mango Mango, yeah, absolutely. Citrus? Um, all sorts of different things that you can put into the beer. Um, cinnamon. Peppers. I was going to say peppers. cinnamon, yes. pumpkin. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's just the the uh, additionals, whatever whatever little things you want to add to it, a coriander, for example. Th- those
4: aren't necessary, though. I mean, a, like a traditional German beer, as it's defined, only has grain, hops, water, and yeast.
1: Well, and I think there's you have beer purists that say, I can't have anything. But right. I think if you take a look at the changing tastes and demographics of people who consume beer i think people want variety they want new things they there's they're not concerned with well i've got to have exactly the way they did it in bavaria in 1875 no they want something that's going to be enjoyable and taste good and i think if you take a look i was at shipyard brewing uh last week we 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 did a tour up in in portland maine and their number one beer is their pumpkin uh ale And it's a great beer, flies off the shelves, tastes incredible. So there's no right, there's no wrong. It's what you enjoy.
4: (laughs) It's that time of the year for pumpkin beer. Exactly
1: right. We're seeing that now. And also the Oktoberfest beers. Right, Yeah. Those Marzen type of beers. They're good. All right, so now that we've got our, our ingredients, the water, the malted grain, hops, yeast, the adjunct ingredients, next comes mashing of the grains. What is mashing?
5: So mashing is basically mixing the cracked grain with water, and what that does is, with temperature, you can activate the enzymes natural within the grains to consume the starches and convert them into sugars. And the sugars is what you need to make alcohol. So that's what the yeast is going
1: to eat. Now that's so that's the boiling process, or is no, that, that just, that's just that's just the mashing? So just just the mashing. Just so you basically mashing. take cold water, or is Actually, it hot water? It's
5: hot water. It's about 142 to 159
1: degrees. Okay, hot water along with the malted grains, Mm -hmm. whether it's wheat or whether it's barley, Mm -hmm. and then you just allow them to just sit. Sit for
5: about an hour, sometimes a little longer. There's also other profiles for uh, mashing, like step mashing or decoction, where you take some out. Now, what is step mashing? Step mashing is where you start at a lower temperature, and then raise it up, and then raise it up again, And that gets you different profiles because there's different enzymes that are active throughout the entire mashing process. And the
1: enzymes converts the starch to sugar, Mm -hmm. which gives you the sweetness. So I know that when I've been... Well,
5: it gives you the
1: food for the yeast to convert to alcohol. Food for the yeast to convert to alcohol. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So you normally steep grains between 142 to 159 degrees. Mm
5: -hmm. And the different temperatures dictate whether the beer is going to be crisp and light and dry, like dry wine, or... Have a little more body, like uh, getting a stout has that, that full body flavor. Higher the
1: temperature, more more body. Absolutely. Gotcha. Lower the In temperature. One degree makes a big difference. Does it really? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. How much of a difference?
5: It, it, it like if you try to brew the same beer twice and you're a couple degrees off, it'll be a very dramatically
1: different beer. So people that are home brewers, that's why you need a thermometer because you Absolutely. must be ac- preferably True. a digital thermometer. Mm-hmm. I would say probably.
5: I, I actually prefer the alcohol glass thermometers. Really?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, it's they're they're accurate. All right. Now all the ingredients we talked about except the water but malted grain the hops the yeast the adjuncts as well as the equipment to home brew you sell here at avid brew company mm-hmm. right and you'll help guide people we teach classes actually. you teach classes i better get to one of these classes pronto and i want a lot of beer in those classes and well i know one thing i'm going to put in there i want to put in i want to try something taking some of the jack i've got some jack daniels barrel staves Oh, yeah. and maybe finishing it off. So we'll talk about that. We're at Abbott Brew Company in downtown St. Petersburg, Florida, with Jeff Keller, the owner, and master brewer Connor Meyer. We have learned that the ingredients you need and how to mash grains, when we come back, we'll talk about sparging, boiling, and adding the hops. Science of Brewing, Home Brewing 101 today on Cigar Oktoberfest. Gurkha has just launched three new cigars at the Cigar Dave Alpha Pleasure Fest on the water in Buffalo, the Gurkha Chateau Privé, the Gurkha Marquesa, and Gurkha Ghost Gold, all three unique flavor profiles. The Gurkha Chateau Privé, more traditional mild and creamy cigar typically found in many of the high-end Dominican cigars. Exquisite flavor, very velvety on the palate, featuring an Ecuadorian De Florado wrapper. The Gurkha Marquesa, very Cubanesque all the way around from flavor and packaging. With an earthy Sumatra wrapper, Gurkha Marquesa is a bold, well-balanced, medium-bodied and spicy cigar. The Gurkha Ghost Gold, little different than the regular Gurkha Ghost, more flavor, a little bit bolder, featuring an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. Instead of a sweet flavor on the Gurkha Ghost, it's a more nutty and earthy profile. The Gurkha Chateau Privé, the Gurkha Marquesa and Gurkha Ghost Gold, three new cigars just launched by Gurkha. Continuing Cigar Oktoberfest here on the Cigar Dave Show. The entire month of October, combining cigars and beer. We never need a reason or an occasion to celebrate, but certainly Oktoberfest and Cigar Oktoberfest is the perfect way to do so. Perfect excuse for us to light up a fine cigar, do some beer pairings. And I'm looking at four magnificent beers here at Avid Brew Company, downtown St. Petersburg. We're talking about Home Brewing 101, the science of of brewing it has become an increasingly popular hobby. So this week we're talking about everything you need to know about uh, home brewing, the equipment you need, the process. So we welcome you back to Avid Brew Company downtown St. Petersburg with Jeff Keller the owner and master brewer Connor Meyer and I should say gentlemen that that downtown St. Petersburg not only has experienced a renaissance in terms of restaurants and and housing and and activities but it's really become a beer epicenter, a cool little micro center of beer
4: activity. Totally, it is. It's it's grown over the past few years. Um, we've been here about four years. Um, you know, Green Bench kind of started uh, the whole revolution around here and, and bringing in some different unique beers and and uh, uh, you know cycles following Cage, Penel Works, St. Pete Brewing. Um, And and, and still going.
1: And you know what? Sergeant Steve will put up a map uh, at CigarDave.com where we will put little pins on all the different breweries that are in the downtown St. Petersburg area. Actually, we're looking at one right now. It's called the Brewery Bay. I didn't realize just looking at the entire Cigar City area, Tampa Bay area, the number of breweries. But uh, there's a ton of them in downtown St. Petersburg. So if you're considering a visit down, especially between the months of like December and March, Perfect time if you're a beer enthusiast. Some great places, great restaurants, and great brew pubs right here in downtown St. Petersburg. So we'll outline that. Now, one of the things that you gentlemen mentioned, that brewing is all about time and temperature. And as we learned in step two, mashing of the grains, you basically steep the grains, whether it's wheat or whether it's cracked barley, in hot water between 142 degrees and 159 degrees. And you both said time and temperature that's all brewing is about. It's crucial. Absolutely. I mean, if you if you don't go long enough, it's
5: not going to convert all the starches, and then you're just going to have less alcoholic beer. And if you go too long, which isn't too much of a problem, but you can start extracting flavors you don't actually want. So an hour, hour and a half at the temperature you want for the body you're trying to find is really important to kind of nail down. And taking notes, being sure you're, you're repeating. So if you make the same beer again, you can either not make the bad beer again or make the good beer again.
1: Remember those composition books we used to have back in grade school where you'd write everything down, they were kind of bound? I would say if you're going to be a home brewer, that's a good investment to make because every time you make a batch, I would assume the exact amount, the time, the temperature, so you could look back and take notes and say, you know, I like that particular beer, but let me try one degree more for maybe another few more minutes, see what that does. And then you hit that aha moment where you get exactly the formulation you're looking it's for. It's a beautiful feeling. I'm sure it is. You've had it many times. <laughs> so when you brew all your beers, everything the exact same way. Absolutely. So you Absolutely. know that's... I,
5: I have an entire recipe notebook full of just notation throughout the whole process. And that is
1: guarded. I noticed a very large vault as you walk in here. And that is guarded. <laughs> Nobody's getting near there. In fact, Stop there's secret. there's patrol dogs right, right around there Secret <laughs> Service. All right. So time and temperature key elements in brewing. Now, after you mash the grains and you said roughly what, an hour? Mm -hmm. Okay. What's the next step? Sparging, which sparging is basically a a fancy word for rinsing the
5: grains out. You you need to rinse that sugar out of the grains that you've converted, the starches you convert into sugars. And now you're trying to rinse all those sugars out into another pot or take the grains out of that pot and rinse the sugars out of the grain. So you just want to separate the grains from the sugars. So you want the sugars out? No, you want the sugars in so that you
1: can use that to boil. Ah, so you want the You're sugars. You're trying
5: to just remove the grain.
1: Oh, so once the grain is done, you don't need it anymore. Nope. Now, my understanding is, is that many breweries, when I was up at Shipyard Brewing, they told me that uh, they sell the remnants uh, the grains to various farms so they okay. get continuous reuse in the area.
5: Yeah, you can make dog biscuits out of it too and um, chickens, breads. My
1: chickens
4: love it. They'll go crazy after a while and, and they'll, they'll gorge on them.
1: So it's like a dry, it just becomes like when you dry it out, it just dries. Yep.
5: It's pretty empty of any nutrition, but it's just, just grain. I guess chickens like it and dogs yeah, like that it. That or yeah.
4: compost. Compost is another alternative.
1: Okay. And
5: so, we actually here have a, a man named Angel we give our uh, grains to for his goats.
1: Really? Mm-hmm. So basically, there's no waste whatsoever. Constant recycling. That's it. All right, fantastic. So sparging, you are rinsing the sugar out of the grains. You're getting rid of the grains. You're retaining the sugar and the water. Yep, which is called wort. Wort. W O R T. Now, we I've actually sampled the wort, and when it's warm, mm. tastes pretty good. It's, it's like delicious. a sweet tea. Yeah. It is like a sweet tea. The grain tea. We we're, were at uh, uh, Denine Brewing, and and uh, Mike Bryant said, "Try this." I said, boy, the smell is incredible. You could actually make a tea or a soup out of that. Mm-hmm. Thing. It, it was actually I thought it was just drink it in and of itself.
4: We we bottled uh, a couple of bottles of a, um, a black IPA, and it tasted just like a stout, uh, a non-alcoholic stout because it doesn't have any alcohol in it. Um, so it's yeah, it's pretty good stuff.
1: So the word is basically the the sugars with the water uh, after you have mashed the grains. Mm-hmm. So the sparging is rinsing of the sugar out, and then you create the wort, and that's going to be the base of your beer. Absolutely. Okay, so that's your basically that's like your stock. That's your your ingredients right there. That's the that that starts the process. So now that you've got the wort, which usually is tastes sweet, got these sugars in there, you next go to the boiling mm-hmm. component. What does boiling do? Well, boiling does a couple things. It sanitizes it.
5: It evaporates things that you don't actually want such as just fusel things just things you're not actually going to need it'll just evaporate and it also evaporates water so it condenses it so you have a stronger sugar solution
1: got a stronger wort
5: yes gotcha also what it does is as you add hops throughout the boil the heat and the temperature actually change the hops into more bittering so the longer you have the hops in the boil the more bitter they become the less time you have the more flavor you have retained, because as you boil it longer, you're gonna, basically going to cook away all the flavors and aromas. So you put in hops throughout the entire process to get different flavors, aromas, and bitternesses out. So it.
1: that boiling is step four, and then adding the hops is step five. But let's talk about boiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one temperature for boiling. We know that, that everything boils at the only one temperature. How long do you boil for?
5: Roughly an hour, sometimes up to three hours. Now I is- boiled up to eight hours at one point.
1: Now, you talked about being a brewer. It's all about time and temperature. Mm-hmm. Well, temperature, you know, boiling, that that's a constant. But what time? How does that change An hour the is the,
5: a general um, length for a boil for a, for a typical batch of beer.
1: If you do it for eight hours, how does that differ? Well,
5: we did that for a little bit of fun. We made a, like a 15% Grand Cru, which was a lot of fun. So we broiled it for a really long time to get the sugars really high.
1: So you want so the longer you boil, the higher the sugars.
5: Yes, because you're evaporating the water. You're yeah, evaporating like, like the water, reducing a sauce. Mm-hmm.
1: Gotcha. Okay, interesting. So, but normally an hour on yep. average. Okay. So step four is the boiling. So well, as
5: you boil, along, you're also caramelizing the sugars in it. You're you're making it more sweet, and you're you're making it uh, it's changing rich. the color as well. Also, yeah, more rich. And I'll tell you,
1: that is when I I've, I've sampled that that's unbelievable when it comes out and it's nice and warm that's great for a sore throat by the way oh yeah it tastes great i mean it's really it's got really cool tastes and and uh most people would say you know i'm happy right here but there's more so let me recap here we start with water malted grain whether it's wheat whether it is barley hops yeast adjuncts adjuncts could be a little mango could be pumpkin could be cinnamon other spices Step two is mashing of the grains. We want to steep the grains in hot water between 142 degrees to 159 degrees. The higher the temperature, the I think you said the higher the temperature, the fuller. That it uh, it can become? Correct. Okay. Now, number three is sparging, which is rinsing the sugars out of the grains, creates the wort. We want to get rid of the spent grain, and now we want to have that, that water and the, those sugars create the wort. We then boil the wort, which is step four, and it concentrates the sugar, it sterilizes, it uh, gets rid of anything that we don't really want in there, pulls the bitterness out. And then step five is adding the hops. Now, before we talk about adding hops, let's talk about exactly what hops are. Remember, Many people say it's a term for beer flavor, beer taste. It's hoppy. It's, uh, it's not very hoppy. And that really relates to the, when you say hoppy, to me, the amount of spiciness, basically, or bitterness, if you will, more bitterness, I think, kind of bitterness units, I think, that would be on the palate, is that correct?
4: Uh, correct, yeah, I mean, you're, you get some flavors, you get earthy flavors from the hops, you'll get um, uh, tropical flavors, uh, mostly aromas. Um, you're not gonna get any alcohol,
1: from the hops it's all aroma so but let's talk about the different because there's hundreds of varieties of hops and one of the things that i just recently read is that many craft brewers are having difficulty getting hops because there's such a demand with all these new craft breweries coming in that it takes a couple of years between the time they plant the right. seed to the time they're able to grow it yep. and then let it sit it's just like cigars you can't just grow it and then say great i'm going to use it in six weeks it's got to rest it's got to age it's got to ferment So let's talk about hops, the different types of hops, where they come from, uh, tasting notes of hops.
5: So a cool little fact about hops, and it kind of goes along with this, is that each hop variety, which there's hundreds of varieties, is actually a clone of the original type. So if you have a cascade hop, every field of cascade hop is a clone of the original. So they just take a part of the root and they regrow it. Because of that, if you get a... Disease that affects it specifically, it has no genetic mutations to protect itself. So you can have entire crops devastated by molds, by disease, and that can dramatically change how much are available that year. So entire fields are gone. You're not going to have those. You have to try again, and that takes three or four years to get a real good harvest from from a hop plant. And they're they grow 18 feet high, so you have to. They grow the first year, and then they grow this next year, and then they start producing really good the next year, and the third year is when they're really mature.
1: Now, Pacific North, Northwest, known for growing hops? Mm-hmm. There's what?
5: basically a belt around the planet from, like, uh, I'd say, southern Maine to northern Pennsylvania that goes all the way around the planet. That's, like, the, the best place to grow them.
1: In that latitude? hmm And why is that?
5: Humidity, temperature, just everything, all the all the different things. Like here, it's way too hot, way too rainy. For, for hops to grow, it just burns them out.
1: And where, uh, how many varieties of hops do you sell here at Avid Brew Company? We probably have about
4: 30, maybe 40 30. types. Yeah. And so you get them from all
1: over the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what are some of the countries besides the United States? Germany, Austria, New um, Zealand. Yeah. Another one, that's yeah. Aust-
4: yeah, Australia, has been good. Um,
1: and they all have different notes, different flavors. Absolutely. And I'm absolutely. noticing here they can be floral, spicy, fruity, earthy citrusy or piney and there's others
5: too those are just kind of the main ones people are really looking for
1: okay so we're adding hops throughout the boiling process Mm -hmm. and how often do you add them it depends on the style I mean
5: some you just do a little bit of bitterness some you do a little bit for just flavor most of the time you you put it throughout the whole process so you get a little bit of the bitterness so you can balance out the sweetness of the beer, and then you go down towards the aroma.
1: Okay, so you've added the hops now, and again, those boil for about an hour on average. And when we come back, we'll continue our Home Brewing 101 course. This is the best course you can take, by the way, uh, Alpha Males. This is not like taking astronomy or psychology. This is the science of brewing, Home Brewing 101 here at CDU. That's Cigar Dave University, and we will give you a degree. When we come back, we'll talk about the process after adding hops, the chilling, the pitching of the yeast, the fermentation and bottling, and then, of course, the drinking. We'll also get into, we talked about the equipment, some uh, prices, and what you should be looking for. We will continue celebrating Cigar Oktoberfest Science of Brewing, Beer Brewing 101, here on The Cigar Dave Show.
0: You need to add some alpha to your Facebook news feed. By following The General, you'll get the latest intel in the world of cigars. Info on the show each week and see what The General is smoking. Click like at Facebook.com slash Cigar Dave.
3: quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight.
6: Hi, this is Rocky Patel. If you're a beginner, or if you just enjoy a great mild cigar like I do in the morning, I suggest you try the Vintage 99. This seven-year-old Connecticut wrapper delivers a creamy, mild Smooth flavor, it's very, very balanced on your palate, and it absolutely is delightful. Tons of flavor, a perfect draw, and an incredible ash. This cigar is smooth, it will entice you to enjoying more and more of the vintage 99s. It's just a nice, great, balanced, smooth cigar. Look for it, the oldest Connecticut shape in the market today. I'm Rocky Patel, and I promise you, Nobody works harder than we do to make you a great quality cigar. Come visit us at rockypatel.com. Surgeon General warning, cigar smoking can cause cancer and heart disease. Beer. Beer. Beer, Beer. Everybody. Beer.
0: Beer. It's some great sing-along songs, ladies and gentlemen. We'd like to have everybody join in and Beer. sing along with the band.
3: In heaven,
1: there is no fear. That's why we drink and when Home Brewing 101, the science of Brewing. We're at Avid Brew Company downtown St. Petersburg with Jeff Keller, the owner and proprietor and master Brewer Connor Meyer. Now recapping here, there are eight actually nine steps to creating beer. First is your ingredients. By the way, all these are at CigarDave.com. The second is mashing of the grains, steeping grains in hot water for an hour between 142 to 159 degrees. Sparging, rinsing the sugar out of the grains, creating the wort. Boiling for about an hour. Number five is adding the hops is where we left off. And, Connor, you just gave me, and Jeff, you just gave me a, a half a glass here of hops. And these are what? Citra. Citra. This is a popular hop? Very. Okay. Especially among the IPAs. That w- that
4: was one that sold out because everyone wanted it last year.
1: I'm getting notes of pininess, fruitiness, floral, little citrus. Mm-hmm. Very incredible. Now, these come in like little pellets. Is that how they're grown or are they created into they're, pellets? They're,
5: they're grown in these little cones, but pellets are easier to transport because an ounce of, of uh, whole leaf hops can actually go bad a lot quicker. And they, it's about, you know, it's a lot larger. So this, they, they just pulverize them and put them through an extruder that puts them into pellets. Gotcha. So this is really more consistent what, and even in about
1: them all too. This is what gives the beer a lot of flavor, a lot of the various tasting notes, whether it's real hoppy, those bitterness units, or the other taste that you would get on the palate. Mm-hmm. All right. Now we go to chilling. So the beer is boiled for just about an hour and or so. And you're adding the hops throughout. You're adding the hops. Okay. Then you go to chilling.
5: Now, as I was saying about earlier, uh, with the hops, the when you add them changes whether you're going to get bitterness from it, aroma from it, or uh, flavor from it. So if it takes you an hour, two hours to chill it down, all those aroma hops you put in have been in hot water for long enough where they become bittering hops. So the quicker you can chill it, the more you can retain the flavors that you want. Also, the less chance for infection you have.
1: All right, and below eighty degrees. Uh, mm-hmm. What's the rough temperature you chill it at?
5: I, I usually go for about seventy-five.
1: Seventy-five yeah, degrees. Yeah, because so that's
5: it's, if it's too high, you're going to kill the yeast. If it's too cold, it's just going to keep the yeast asleep. Got are you. your
4: friends. You you, you want to make the environment for them really uh, um, happy.
1: Well, when it comes to beer, yeast is your uh, yeast is your friend. Not a, not, not <laughs> in everything though. However, all right. So the next thing is pitching the yeast. This is where you give life to your beer. This is where it
5: becomes beer. Uh, well, yeah, then a living thing. I mean, yeast is. Yeast is a beautiful thing. You can make alcohol. You can make CO2. So, I mean, it's just, this is where the, the life comes to it. Comes and into there are it. different types of yeast. There are. There's different,
4: different strains strains. Yeah. There's different strains from different regions, and they have different quali- you know, qualities each, each one might produce. Same with water. Wa- water and yeast are, are um, you know, related to the regions they come from.
1: Okay. So then you pitch the yeast, and, and how this long? This is
5: the only time, after you've cooled it down sanitation is a very key okay you don't want infections of other bacteria, of wild yeasts this is where you can get some really bad off flavors so once you've chilled it you've sanitized everything that's going to touch your beer at this point it's still considered wart until the yeast is added but sanitation is absolutely key
1: okay so you pitch the yeast then what happens step eight
5: you close it in the ferment in the fermenter and you add an airlock or have a um, beer yeah, you should have been drinking the whole. Should time. have been drinking the whole time. That's true. Okay, um, you make it so that nothing can get into it. So there's blow off tubes, which basically, or an airlock, which just lets the CO two the yeast is creating come out, but nothing come in.
1: Okay, so fermentation how long? About a month. A month. So basically, you you when you pitch the yeast, you then uh, you're putting the yeast into a, n- a new container.
6: Or you're putting it into the
1: fermenter. Into the fermenter. Gotcha. So you take the wort, the boiled wort that has the hops, you chill it down, then you put it into the fermenter along with the yeast for 30 days. Now, difference between a lager and an ale involves the... You go
5: back to temperature. 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 um, Lager yeast typically ferments around 55 degrees. And ale yeast typically ferment between 62 to 72 degrees. And one is a
1: top fermenting and the other is a bottom fermenting. For the most part, yes. For the most part. Okay, gotcha. So 30 days has now gone by. Now, I'm looking here. You've got beer, ale, 62 to 72 degrees, two to three weeks. Lager, 55 to 60 degrees, two to three weeks.
5: Now, the term lager, actually, lagering is aging at cold temperature. Aging at cold temperature. A lager, you'd ferment at 55, 57 for two to three weeks, and then you would lager it for up to three months. And that's actually the process of lagering is about – 35 degrees, and you maintain that for for two to three months. And that actually clears the flavor. It clears the beer out for clarity.
1: So lagers are longer. Ale's about 30 days. Absolutely. For so home
4: brewers, ales are a lot yeah, easier. Lagers, a lot lagers easier. require um, a lot more patience, too.
1: Correct. So 30 days have gone by with your ale, your mm-hmm. home-brewed ale. Now what do you do? Comes out of the fermenter.
5: So you put it into another container that's also sterilized. Uh, you add a set amount of sugar. And then you You add what now? A set amount of sugar, uh, depending on how much carbonation you want. So, this is this point, the yeast is still alive. Okay. So, you put it in another bucket, you add sugar, and then you put it into each bottle and cap it. Okay. And what that sugar does is the yeast will eat that sugar inside the bottle and creating CO2. Okay. And it'll naturally carbonate inside of the bottle.
1: All right. And then?
5: You wait about two weeks, if even a week and a half. And you put it in your fridge and you enjoy your nice tasty beverage.
1: Fantastic. And as we discussed in hour number one during our Litation Libation ceremony, we actually sampled some of your beers, which were absolutely fantastic. Now, somebody wants to buy a home brewing kit. We've learned all eight, nine steps science of brewing, home brewing. I'm looking here and we'll take a picture of this. Actually, we did take a picture. We'll put this at cigardave.com. That's an entire kit that you need. Everything. How much?
5: Around 200. $200,
1: $200, and you can become a home brewer. right. Mm-hmm. And you also have classes here at Avid Brew Company in downtown St. Pete. 25 bucks each. Correct. Yep. Fantastic. Website? Avidbrew.com, and also on Facebook, uh, Avid Brew. Perfect. Jeff Keller. Connor Meyer of Avid Brew Company, downtown St. Pete. Gentlemen, thanks for the hospitality. Thanks, thanks no for problem. the knowledge. Cigar Dave, the general saying, Mayor Human humidor always be full. Mayor cutter always be sharp. Mayor ash be extra, extra long. And may your beer always taste cool and refreshing. Long live the alpha. Make America great again. All the information you need on home brewing and the science of brewing, CigarDave.com. All the steps are listed there. Get to it. Make your own brewski. Cigar Oktoberfest continues next week.